0: Today's reading is from Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 to 17, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone uh, guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or your maidservant, nor your animals or the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Great, thank you, Lois. Yeah. Hi, Jeanette. Just say, I had a, I had a real sense in that, in that wonderful time of worship, that the Lord was kind of raising us up as an army again. That um, perhaps, like um, in in Ezekiel thirty-seven, where you see the valley of dry bones, and um, kind of, I'm sure many of us have felt quite battered over the last couple of years, but the Lord loves to pour the breath of his Spirit into us. And I had a real sense that this morning, that's part of what he's doing. And so, you know, be encouraged. The Lord is wanting to equip you in these days. He's wanting to equip us as a church community for the next season. And he will also do that through his word. And just before we pray, as we begin um, this series on the Ten Commandments, as Lois was reading the Ten Commandments, Um, I wonder how many of you thought that um, if someone came up to you and said, could you recount the Ten Commandments to me, and in the right order, you'd have real confidence you could do that. I won't ask you to put up your hands, but when Mark and I began to start talking about this series late in November, I remember thinking at the time, I wonder if I can really order them all properly. And probably I'm not alone. So I think this is really healthy for us. It's really exciting. Let's pray as we go into this series. Father, thank you that it's for freedom that you have set us free. And Lord, thank you that you long for us to walk freely in your ways, which are good ways, Lord. Thank you for the goodness of your word. And thank you, Lord, for the transforming presence of your Spirit. And Lord, I pray this morning that we'd be teachable as we come before your Word. And Lord, that you would equip us. You'd equip us to be shining light in the darkness of this time. And Lord, you'd equip us as we seek to walk in your ways and allow you to continue to transform our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name and, Lord, for his glory. Amen. It's often said that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, especially when you've been watering it for the last few months. And I think we do that with team. We begin to peer over the other side of the fence, and then we water it, and we get... It begins as a slight interest, begins as a little bit of, oh, that that looks good. And then that grows, and it becomes a bit of a longing. And if we're not careful, it can become a craving. And we're thinking about the 10th commandment this morning, about not coveting, and about God's desire that we should walk with true contentment. He wants us to be free to do that. But um, so often, I think, we can think the covetousness is something a bit benign. And um, we're going to see, I pray, that as we look at the subject, just why God gave that command to us and how important it is. I think Mark's talk last week on grace was so helpful as a foundation for this series. Because we need to remind ourselves at the start of this series, we are receive God's approval as a result of his grace. As a result of the grace we receive in Jesus, we are approved, we're accepted by Jesus. And then he calls us to behave in line with the values of the kingdom. He calls us to live the way of Jesus. And part of that way is the Ten Commandments. Jesus endorsed the Ten Commandments. Jesus told his disciples he'd come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And the Ten Commandments are part of the gift that he gives to us within the kingdom. But at each point, we must remind ourselves we're not trying to behave like this to earn his approval. We behave like this out of his approval. And we seek to walk this way. Not just in our own strength, although it will stretch us at times with every fiber of our being. It really will. We take these commands seriously. But actually, we do that in partnership with the Spirit. So It's the Spirit who brings Jesus' transformation in our lives. And just as a reminder to us, that although these commandments were given 4,000 years ago, And they're barely 300 words long in English. They actually form the foundation of our legal system. They're enshrined in the heart of our parliamentary structures. And they lie at the heart, at the core of Western civilization. They they are a good gift from our loving Lord. And if we can have the first slide up, please, Daniel. They are boundaries of blessing. You see, God hasn't left just to flounder on our own and try and work out, well, how do we live well? He knows how he's created us. And he, he says, if you want to live well within yourself, if you want to live well with others, if you want to live well before me, follow these markers. These are boundaries of blessing. And I think it's very hard when we we hear them read, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You think, oh, please give us a break. But actually, we need to understand they are God's wisdom. He is loving. And they are for our good. These are genuinely boundaries of blessing. And even though they form the core of Western civilization, they actually are under great threat today. Or many, Not all of them, many of them are under great threat today. And we need to, I, I, I'm sure that as we work our way through the series, we'll understand more and more how society's values are actually molding us in ways that we're largely unaware of. Because if we don't allow the law to disciple us, you bet our culture will disciple us. And we are being molded by the values that are prevalent in society at the moment. And so I think it's really, it seems really timing. And I think it's really exciting. We can embark on this series together as we begin this new year. So the tenth commandment, we can have the next slide up, please, Daniel. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And we would add also, or husband. Or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. God has said this because he wants you and I to know true contentment. He wants us to walk freely with contentment before him. Not because he doesn't want us to be entrepreneurial. Not because he doesn't want us to grow. He does. He wants us to flourish. But he wants us to flourish healthily. And coveting is wanting something that is not ours, in very simple terms. It's wanting something that is not ours. And it might be that we see someone's watch and we think, that target watch that looks really wonderful. And then we begin to think, oh, I would really want one of those. Or it might be our neighbor's salary looks fairly attractive. It could be our neighbor's car. It could be our neighbor's house. It could be the kind of the family life that our neighbors enjoy. And it begins to work away in our hearts. And actually, we need to understand that God has created you and me, He's created us with desires. He hasn't created us as robots, He's created us to desire good things. And some of the things that we can see in someone else's life are very good things. But it's it's when we want it for ourselves and when we want it now that we begin to spill into coveting. And so please don't for a moment think, the Lord wants to remove all desire from you. That's not the case at all. But he wants us to learn how to direct those desires healthily. And you'll, you'll probably be quite familiar with the, the story about, of the frog that jumps into a pan of water. If we can have the next slide up, please, Daniel. A pan of water that's kind of just gently heating on a stove. And the frog thinks, hey, I'm fine in here. But it's not long before the water begins to boil. And the frog realizes he can't escape. And he gets boiled alive. Sorry if that's not a great image today. (laughs) Sorry, I won't get myself in as much trouble as the Pope has recently about pets. But covetousness does a similar thing to us. That's why I said we think it's benign. But it's not actually. We're a bit like the frog. And before long, we begin to realise that covetousness is taking over our hearts. And Danny, if we can slip back slip back a slide. Thank you. No, the, the the heart one, please. Because for all of us it begins in the heart we could have that slide up, please, Daniel. It's the heart of the human problem. As we've heard so many times, is simply the problem of the human heart. And as God said to his people through Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, search the heart and examine it. And isn't it wonderful the Lord searches our hearts? Examines it and wants to transform our hearts. But we do reckon we need to recognize our hearts need ongoing transformation. We're all a work in progress with that. And I wonder, as far as coveting is concerned, I wonder where at the moment you feel as though your heart can be most easily drawn towards. So, might it, for instance, be money? Jeff Bezos, you know, one of the wealthiest people in the world. Do we kind of look at him and think, wow, all the money that that guy carries? Or might it be, if we can have the next line, might it be fame? Do you remember that great musical series? Probably, probably dates us all a little bit. But, but could it be Fame? I mean, we live in such a celebrity era. And in schools, I think one of the biggest challenges, how can we help our young people aspire for something beyond the shallowness of just being a celebrity for a celebrity's sake? Might it be sex? I was, uh, wasn't sure what image to use here. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we could be on really dangerous ground. So I thought, rumpled sheep, so you can just about get away with it. It's not. It won't stick in people's mind for too long. I didn't want you to leave here with an awful image in your mind. But actually, God has given us really healthy sexual desires and appetites, but they can so easily become distorted. Or might your heart be easily led towards a desire for power? Power and influence. You want to be able to tell people what to do. You want to shape people's lives in the way that you think they should be shaped. And actually, God can give us a healthy desire to influence, but again, that can easily get tweaked. Or is it popularity? Is it that actually you become disproportionately concerned about the number of Facebook friends you have? about your Instagram followers or your Twitter followers. And of course, social media feeds into all of that in an extraordinary way at this time. And these things are hard, aren't they? If we're really honest, if we're honest about our hearts, these things are hard and we're a work in progress, which is why we so need the equipping of the Spirit, the purifying work of the Lord in us to continue to transform our hearts. A, a German philosopher in the 19th century, Schopenhauer, said this Coveting is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. And I think we need to recognize, and I don't have any slice for this, I think we need to recognize that our culture is very beguiling, and we do need to be on our guard. And do you know what? Being in a Christian community doesn't in any way protect us from that. And actually, covetousness can take place within church families, within Christian communities. The writer, to the book of James recognizes this, James 4. You covet something and you cannot have it. And so you engage in disputes and conflicts. Often, conflicts can arise because of covetousness. You might think, well, I'm in that life group, but I'm in this life group, but that life group seems to have far more vitality, far more fun. I much prefer the leadership there. And actually, that, that causes problems. We need to be on our guard. We need to also recognize that behind covetousness is an illusion. It's an illusion that kind of whispers to us. Just if you had that person's lifestyle, if you had that person's resources, you'd be truly fulfilled. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of a time when when Fear and I, um, many years ago, of course, when we were students in Oxford, and we were worshipping at St. Aldate's church in Oxford, and there was a prophetic word. Um, And this lady came and shared this prophetic word, And the prophetic word was simply this, beware the sugar-coated pill. And the message was, a sugar-coated pill can look as though it's going to cure all your ills. It promises something it cannot really deliver. And don't be suckered into accepting that or pursuing that. And that's true with covetousness. And I think a third thing we need to recognize with covetousness is that quite often the root of it can be fear, it can be a fear of missing out, it can be a fear that life is passing me by and I'm somehow not getting that experience. But as. Um, one of, our, one of the great scholars today, Tom Wright, has said, right at the heart of the gospel, we hear repeatedly, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, your father, if we can have that up, please, Daniel. Jesus' teaching his disciples about trust, about trusting him. Your father knows what you need. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't be consumed with worry about what you will eat or drink or about your, what your body, what you, you will wear. You know, our Father knows what we need. And yes, we need to work hard at times to ensure that we are well provided for, our families are well provided for. But fear or anxiety should not drive that. Instead, the Lord says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Set your sights on him. Set your sights on the values of the kingdom. Set your sights on continuing to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus. And you will find that your heart is increasingly transformed and you will discover more fulfillment. So, as we think about covetousness, I want in closing to give us four tips for contentment. And please don't think for a moment that I've got these suspects. I really haven't. I'm on a a huge journey with them. But I hope they might be helpful to us all. And the first is this. We can admire without needing to acquire. And I, I'm sure you know many people have come up with this, but actually I've never heard someone mention it in a talk. We can admire without needing to acquire. Because actually, we can. I mean, it's very human to look at. Um, it, it's very human, for instance. If someone's telling you about a, a wonderful, exotic holiday they're going to go on for the next two months, And um, for us to think, I am really pleased for you. (laughs) That's great. Um, And I hope we can be really pleased for people, because that's, that's a great opportunity, isn't it? But then we have to catch our hearts, because coveting takes us to the next step of saying, I'm really thrilled you're going on that holiday. And I wish it were, But I wish it was me, and I wish it, I was doing that now. And somehow, we need to be able to appreciate, we need to be able to admire good things that other people can enjoy without thinking, that's got to be me. That's got to be me. Because if we're always thinking that, do you know we are robbed of contentment? We're robbed of thankfulness for where we're at in our lives. So that's a first tip. It's learning to admire without needing to acquire. Secondly, to become a generous giver. You know, that's the orientation Jesus is always wanting to direct us towards, isn't it? To become those who are outward looking. Those who are looking to bless. Paul quotes Jesus in Acts 20. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I think at times we can hear that and think, Lord, I really wish I felt that. But actually, bless giving is so liberating. Giving, and it's one of the greatest antidotes to coveting, to give, to give financially. And that's why it's important to do that even when it's costly, even when it's sacrificial because it frees our hearts. But perhaps it's other areas that we find it harder to give. Are you good at giving encouragement? Are you good at generously giving support when it's needed? Are you good at cheering someone on, generously cheering someone on, when you know they're struggling? Because that's Jesus' heart. And learning to become a generous giver takes our eyes away from what we don't from what we think we don't have to looking to bless someone else with what we can, you know, offer to them. Last, last summer when our um, our eldest grandson Johnny was down, remember on a, on one occasion he he grabbed some daisies and gave them to fee. And it was just the most lovely... He, he loves his grandmother so much. I think he loves his grandfather a bit, but he really, really, really loves his grandmother. And it was just the most lovely thing. And there's something in children that loves to give. And I think we have to recover that. This picture here uh, wasn't, um, was, was of a Christmas gift that actually completely unexpectedly arrived at... Um, at Will and Sophie, Will's our second son, and, and his wife, at their house. And it was a gift from the Colombian embassy, bizarrely, just um, 400 yards away. And um, it was totally unexpected, just a few days ago. And actually, it was a lovely encouragement. Our eldest son, Ben, did say to Will, well, are you sure that's coffee there? It's <laughs> there there's not something else in there, is there? but become a generous giver. I wonder on a scale of one to five, how would you judge yourself in terms of being a generous giver at the moment? You might want to share that with, uh, with your spouse later or someone else who knows you well and they might correct you. But becoming a generous giver is a great antidote. And thirdly, a third tip, is to cultivate thankfulness. Paul says, and remember his writing from prison, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And he doesn't say, it came to me easily to, le- it came to, me easily to be content. It seems very deliberate. I have learned. I've had to cultivate. And it's been hard work. We have such a persuasive advertising industry that is bombarding you and me all the time, which is saying to us and disciplining us to think, I cannot be content unless I have that. And so we have to learn a bit like learning to count with an abacus. We have to cultivate thankfulness. And just one little, one little low-level challenge for us all for this week. How about over dinner, or if, if you won't see people who you live with over dinner, just before you go to bed, how about each day looking back and th- counting your blessings? Thank the Lord for four things from the day. And they don't need to be amazingly profound. They don't need to be outlined. They can be really simple things. But thank the Lord for four things because we cultivate thankfulness as we count our blessings. And a fourth and final tip, D, is to desire healthy relationships more than things. A very good friend of mine once said, uh, a very good friend who's recently retired, said that he'd found it really important not just to think about his financial pension, but also about his relational pension. Who did he want to spend time with in that next season of his life? And as we look at the Scriptures, God places such a high priority on healthy, life-giving relationships. And one of my concerns is over lockdown, because we've all had to protect ourselves a bit, the danger is we've curled in on ourselves more. And actually, we need to learn to value relationships more than things, more than experiences, to value healthy relationships. And as we, as we set our minds to do that, actually, that will, again, undermine the power of covetousness in our lives as well. I love some of the pithy insights from Proverbs. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Better to enjoy a simple meal with people who are friends and who you're seeking to bless, then have a feast when there's bitterness around. So as we start this series, I pray that we'll be encouraged. I pray that we'll be encouraged that God's ways are good. They're boundaries for blessing. And they do challenge us. They do stretch us. But not in our own, just in our own strength. That the Spirit wants to equip us and strengthen us that we can walk freely in the ways of Jesus. And we can learn more about, like Paul, to learn the secret of contentment in a culture that's trying to persuade us to covet all the time. Let's just be quiet for a moment. Just allow the Lord to settle in your mind. Just one or two points is wanting, as it were, to land in your heart at this point in your life. Father, thank you, you know how you have wired each of us uniquely. And Lord, we praise you for that. And Father, thank you, Lord, that you so desire into our lives. But Father, teach each of us, I pray, to grow in the secret of contentment. Lord, help us not to be naive about how our culture seeks to shape us. But Lord, grow us as more radical disciples in the way of Jesus. Amen. (laughs)